Hello, welcome to Dyslexia Explored. I'm Darius Nomderon, your host. And in the last few days, we have been doing various different kinds of podcasts. And today is the second part of Yesterdays, where I'm your host and the guest. Some of the parents at Bullet Map have been asking if I could tell my own story of dyslexia um, personally with my assessment, which I did yesterday. And today I'm going to talk about my story um, about how I discovered my own daughter was dyslexic and the lessons I learned on that journey. And uh, I want to share that with you today. So let's dive into that. Now, in Dyslexia Explored, we have nine questions that we ask all of our special guests. Of the 50 special guests that we've had in Dyslexia Explored, I've used these nine questions. So the nine questions are, what was life like before the story began? What was the beginning of the story? And then the second is, what was the wake-up call? Was it a person? And then the third is, what was the biggest challenge? What was the main challenge in your story? And the fourth is, what was the rewards gained from facing that challenge? Now, that's the basic story. But then there's five, other, a few other detailed questions. Number five, what were your most influential learning moments? Six, what, what's been your experience of mind mapping in that journey? And seven, what advice would you give your teenage self? And eight, what advice would you give yourself as a parent? And then finally, what tools for organizing dyslexics, gadgets or apps do you use in your life? So I'm going to get probably through to number eight in this podcast. So let's go back to the beginning. The beginning of this story really is when my daughter was 13. Everything was just fine for her. She was an A-grade student. Everything was fine. I was a property investor and developer but I decided it was time for me to make a change in my life and make, do some more meaningful work than just the property. And so my wife and I had decided it was time to make a big shift in our lives and change our career path. But we didn't actually know what we were going to actually do. We just knew there was something different ready for us, but that we had to wind up our previous business. Well, we didn't know at the time that what was about to happen to us was probably the biggest shock of our life. She got a cancer diagnosis and it rocked us. And we went into action mode and we, she got stage two. She went through all the treatments. And I became her carer, the family carer and so on. But something interesting happened because one day our daughter, who was a really diligent student at school, came home and said something curious at the dinner table. She said casually, oh, my English teacher doesn't think I'm working hard enough. And we were like, that's odd, because we knew how hard she was working. She was incredibly diligent on the whole with her homework. Okay, she would get it in late sometimes, but she was diligent. And the thought came into our minds that maybe she was dyslexic because we started to see 
that she was having a very disorganized school, schooling, you know. Uh, she was finding it hard to keep track of her lessons, finding it hard to keep track of her homework, finding it hard to start keeping up with the homework. And, you know, life was getting quite chaotic. But do you know what? That often happens when you're a teenager, and it's very easy to explain that away. And our life was in quite a bit of chaos because of the cancer treatment. So we kind of ponder on that for a little while. Six months went by and, you know, we were like, mm, you know, maybe she needs some help. Maybe she's struggling. Well, what happened was stage four cancer came along and we were in complete crisis mode. And I have to say that was my wake up call because what happened was that I walked in in the kitchen one day. My daughter had a sheet of paper in her hand. It was her results for her mock exams. We call them prelims here in Scotland. And up until then, she had been saying to us, dad, mom, I'm fine. You know, just leave me alone. Let me study. I'll get there. Don't worry. But she was crying because she had got a D in biology and hadn't done so well in her other subjects. Now for other students, you might think, oh, that's a bit of an overreaction. But for her, it was quite a big deal because she was used to getting A's all the, straight through. And I looked at her and I said, you know, um, I'm sorry about that, uh, but you know, exam results aren't the end of the world. Uh, they're not everything. You did well in the other things and you tried your hardest. And she said, well, Dad, you know how you've been talking to me about that mind mapping? Maybe you could teach me some study skills. She felt a bit bad asking because I'd just come back from the hospital. Um, my wife was ill and it wasn't like the biggest priority in our lives, study skills at the time. But I could see that it really meant something to her. And when it comes to a wake up call, for me, that was my wake up call because I'm a man and what had happened was I'd kind of defaulted to my wife dealing with the schooling and with the children and the house. Uh, we kind of split it, but she did the lion's share of, you know, being responsible for how things were going on at school. And in that moment, I realized who's going to sort this out? And I realized my wife's not going to sort it out. And then I thought maybe the school's going to sort this out. And I came to a very rapid realization that she's at her prelims of her exams. She's two months away from these very important first wave of exams. And the school hadn't taught her the study skills she needed. And I realized the school's not going to teach her. And then I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I think it's going to be on me. And that's when I realized, actually, I'm going to have to do this. I'm not just going to have to contribute or throw in some ideas. I'm going to actually have to take responsibility for this. And it was at that moment that I kind of woke up to the realization that she was probably dyslexic. We didn't have the time to get her a dyslexia assessment. We didn't have the headspace for it. And then I thought to myself, look, whether she's dyslexic or not, she needs to learn how to mind map because I'm dyslexic. I had realized when I was 21, third year of law school, 
that mind mapping was the only thing that was going to get me through it. And then finally, when I was 35, second time at university, I realized after my own dys dyslexia diagnosis that mind mapping was actually my secret weapon and I didn't realize it until I got my assessment. And I'd explained this to my daughter and now she could see that maybe what I had was useful to her. That was my wake up moment. So the next question is, what was the main challenge in your story? Well, obviously there were lots of challenges during that period. The biggest one of which was my wife's health. But in this story, the biggest challenge was how I as a father could help my teenage daughter who was stressed out of her face with lots of schoolwork and the huge frustrations she was finding meeting the expectations of her teachers. How was I going to help her? Now, I thought to myself, well, mind mapping's been around for 25 years. You know, Tony Buzan will have something up on YouTube and there'll be an online training course. There'll be all that kind of stuff. I'll just invest in getting some tutoring for her and some online training and that'll do the job. So I went onto YouTube. Now, I know what to look for. And all I saw was one video after another that showed the very basics principles of mind mapping, 10 principles of mind mapping, you know, do a central image, main branches, color the branches differently, you know, words on top of branches, you know, use colors for the branches, doodle in pictures, and go in clockwise order, those kind of things. And there was nothing much from the Busan organization. And I was just gutted, I have to say. I was like, my goodness, this technique is recommended by every university in the country, nearly. It was in my day. But it had gone out of favor. And I realized that something had gone wrong with the way people taught mind mapping. And I didn't really know what it was. And that question burrowed into my head. Why do people find it hard to learn to mind map? Why do dyslexic children seem to have some sort of allergic reaction to mind mapping? What's going wrong? They should naturally take to this and love it like I do. Well, it took me about four years to figure out the answer to that question. And I can probably explain the answer to that question in about three minutes to you, and I will in a few minutes. But the biggest challenge in that story was when I sat down with my daughter and tried to teach her the techniques, she got really stressed out. And I remember the moment very clearly, you know, she had come to me and said, Dad, I want to learn your technique. We had set a time. It was a Saturday. I, no, it wasn't a Saturday. It was like a Thursday night or something. And we were going to spend half an hour to an hour learning the technique. We sat down. She was all excited. I was quite excited that I had a willing daughter. And I started to show her the technique. This technique, that technique, this is how you do it, that's how you do it, etc. Then all of a sudden, about 10 minutes into it, she got totally stressed out. And she decided, Dad, Dad, stop, stop, stop. And I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? She said, I don't know, I don't know. You're just, you're just forcing me to do this. And I'm like, I'm not forcing you to do this. And she said, I know you're not forcing me to do this. You just, 
I don't know what it is, but I don't, this, I don't know. I'm so, so stressed out by you. And I'm like, uh, you, you asked me to do this. I'm, I, look, I'm not, I, I'm happy to stop. She's like, I do want to do this, but I think we need to stop. So we stopped. Now, I didn't understand what was going on there. Now we know she's dyslexic. Now we know she has uh, a smaller working memory and slower processing. And now we know that the way I was teaching her just wasn't working for her. I was teaching her the right thing, but I was doing it in the wrong way. I was doing it like she was a typical thinker. And I realized now I wouldn't teach her in the same way. And what I ended up doing was my actual job at the time, I was planning to teach online courses. I was going to teach people how to build a chicken coop that I designed out of a plastic barrel. That was the big idea. I've got this amazing chicken coop. You can take a plastic barrel, turn it into a chicken coop, and it's just a brilliant chicken coop that could be used all around the world, very affordable, very sustainable, and outperforms some of the most expensive $600, $700, $800 chicken coops out there like the egg loop. That was my business plan. <laughs> but I realized, do you know what? I'm going to have to create some training videos for her. So I decided to create some videos for her so that she could play them at her own time in her own pace. And she did some of them. And we did some training together. And it worked to a degree. But the other thing I realized was that the biggest challenge was learning how to study when you're 14 is the wrong time to learn to study, especially if you're dyslexic. Because if you're dyslexic, you're going to have to learn a visual way of studying. It's like learning a visual language. And so you need to learn when you're like 12, not when you're 14 and getting tons of exam work piled up on you. So she did her best. And long story short, she did really well in her exams. And I've covered this in other places. But the bottom line is she learned some exam techniques, some mind mapping techniques, basic mind mapping techniques, I would say. And she did really well at school in that year. And then she did really well in the next year. She, in fact, she became ducks of her school, which is basically top joint top marks in her school. And we were really pleased for her because that's what she wanted. But it was still a huge challenge to organize the dyslexia. And we still didn't get a dyslexia test for her because we were in the middle of everything. I actually got an assessor to do a dyslexia assessment of her. Now this assessor said to her, you have some of the traits of dyslexia, but you are not dyslexic. This confused us, really confused us. But I thought, well, maybe you're just mildly dyslexic. We just kind of accepted that, but it, just didn't sit right with me. And I said, you're at least mildly dyslexic and you still need to learn these techniques because she's incredibly creative, incredibly inventive, incredibly artistic, great design, all the traits of the beneficial traits of dyslexia as well as the disadvantages of dyslexia. And so she went to university and we decided it was time for her to get a full assessment by an assessor that we had met and really trusted. And when they, this educational psychologist tested her, they accurately tested her IQ, her processing, gave us numbers for them rather than just generalized traits. And we could not believe the figures. She couldn't believe the figures, according to what we had told her. 
my daughter was very dyslexic and she had done incredibly well. And that was a huge vindication of what she had gone through. Now, out of that experience, what changed me was that I realized this little two-week course I was going to do on, the, on mind mapping ended up becoming a three-month beginner's course. And then it ended up becoming Bullet Map Academy. I realized no one else is solving this problem for visual note-taking for dyslexic kids. You know, it's been around for 30 years. And I, I promise you that I would explain to you what I discovered about why these children weren't learning from spider diagrams and bubble diagrams, what it was in the Buzan method of teaching it that had not reached dyslexic children properly. Now, I love Tony Buzan's technique and what they've done. It's incredible. But when I learned this, I realized how the way you teach mind mapping has a significant effect on the way a person receives it, especially if they're a child. And here's what I learned. I met someone who had gone to a Buzan training in the UK, a CEO of a company. And he explained to me how amazing the workshop is. His workshops are incredible. What he did was he gave everyone a paperclip and he said to everyone in the room, you, I want you to think about as many different ways you could use this paperclip and write them down. And people wrote them down, got about 20 answers on average. And then uh, he told them, if you gave this paperclip to children, they would come up with 100 answers. They're much more creative than you. But if you learn this technique of mind mapping, you can regain your creativity. And so he taught them the mind mapping, and then he gave them another similar exercise, and they found out so many great creative ideas because they mapped it out. And it was in that moment I realized why that didn't work for dyslexics. And the reason it doesn't, doesn't work for dyslexics is people with dyslexia don't need any more new ideas. They don't need any more creativity. What they need is creative focus. And you can use a mind map for creative focus, or you can use a map to generate more creativity and ideas. And then I realized the next thing was when I observed my students who were dyslexic doing maps and seeing them, I realized that they didn't like spider diagrams or bubble diagrams as they're called in schools because those are basically the dumbed down version of mind maps that are taught in school nowadays because most teachers don't actually know how to mind map properly because it's just another little technique that they use whereas their main core note-taking technique is writing in in lists like most people now and it's no criticism of them you know if you don't need to do it you don't need to learn it whereas i needed to do it through my law degree and with my dyslexia so what was happening is that when these children draw a spider diagram out what they get is a very random order of their thoughts and the, when I watched some of these children's maps and I compared them to other children's maps that weren't dyslexic, I realized that 
dyslexic thinkers have a much more random thinking pattern. It's like all their ideas are floating around. And so when you get all those ideas down, they come down in very randomized order. Whereas a typical thinker, if you ask them to write them down in a map, they would put roughly the main idea first and then a secondary idea and roughly structure it reasonably well in their brainstorm, but not a child with dyslexia. And when they do that spider diagram, it just stresses them out to see the randomness stuck down on a bit of paper like that. And they don't know what to do next with the randomness. It was at that moment I started to devise a different way of mapping, just a slightly different way. And what I got the children to do was to write down all of their random thoughts as a bullet point list down the side, to get it all out, get it out in their head, all the randomness out. And it was to the side. And they hadn't committed to the map yet. And then to underline key words in the random list. And that meant they had sort of jigsaw pieces, big jigsaw pieces in the underlined words to put over into the map. And the moment they put it into the map, something happened to the children. They were like, oh yes, I get this, I like this, because they got some creative focus. So it's kind of like instead of the map creating divergent thinking and spreading out, which is the sort of goal of Tony Buzan's approach to create this radiant thinking, this divergent thinking. I actually get the kids to create this convergent thinking, to get the ideas all to converge onto that core idea, because that's what we hyper creative people need. And that was the moment where Bullet Map Academy we, we changed our name to Bullet Map Studio. We started to teach this technique. Children started to really blossom on it. And uh, that was the big reward from that whole journey. And it was at that moment I kind of realized I'm on a mission. And my mission is to teach 1 million dyslexic children to Bullet Map by 2030. For 1 million maps, their first Bullet Map, to be somewhere online, one million of them. And then if you can help these children organize their ideas uh, imaginatively, then something incredible could happen because they've got so many great ideas that are just not getting out their head. And if they can just get them down on a bit of paper and organize them visually, then they can get their stories out and inventions out. So that's my mission. And if you wanna join me, please do share the word. Uh, we've got lots of free resources, etc. Now, I've got five more questions. And I think I'm just going to stop there actually quite soon. But there's the details of the journey. Question five, what were your most influential learning moments? Was it a person, a group, a course? I think the most influential learning moments were my own students in the pilot course. We did a pilot course three years ago. 10 students and families came on and they did, did it. And that taught me a lot about what they needed. And it was the foundation of Bullet Map Academy. But actually the next one were the students of Bullet Map Academy. We, we formed the academy in a, a year ago. And when we started to share this Bullet Map technique 
and start developing these different techniques. I've developed other techniques within the bullet map system, not just this one, but other techniques that create this creative order, this convergent thinking, so that you can get some creative focus. It was really the people, my students. So number six, the question is, what has been your experience of mind mapping in that journey? Well, funny thing is, you might actually think, you know, I've always been an advocate of it, but I haven't. You know, when I was 14, 15, I read Tony Buzan's book, Use Your Head. I loved it. Everything except the mind mapping section. Uh, it just looked too confusing for me. And I used every other technique. But when I was 21, six years later, I realized that te those techniques weren't enough. And I went back to the book. And then I decided to try this mind mapping thing that was so confusing. And it took me a long time to start developing the technique. I mean, I'm talking like months of intense kind of trying to figure out how this thing worked. And it was one lecture I sat in, I thought, I'll give it a try. And that moment of being able to listen and take notes at the same time and be able to visually see it all mapped out in front of me as it was unfolding was just a sublime moment. I was in the flow. I stayed in the flow. I really understood what was say, happening. I, I, I could take down the notes and I didn't quite realize what was happening, but it was working. Now I know why it was working because of working memory and processing speeds and all of that jazz. I know that the science behind it, but I just felt in the flow. It was great. And so from then I got my degree with it and I used it on and off as a teacher. I used it a lot as a, as a teacher. Whenever I get stressed out and things get too much, I have to map it out. I'm forced to. And so uh, it was a kind of love-hate relationship because it's still an effort to take notes. I like to improvise and just sort of riff and improvise. But there are times when you do have to have some notes. You do need to be concise. And then I've just grown to love it more and more, especially as it's developed into bullet mapping, where it's a technique that actually is intentionally bending my thoughts to a focus, kind of like how glasses uh, correct short-sightedness. They bend the, the light. I kind of think of bullet maps as a pair of lenses that bend ideas and focus them in my mind. So the next question is, what advice would you give your teenage self? That's a big one. I think if I could go back in time, I would tell my 15-year-old self, you know, read that chapter and do it. Please do it now. You're going to do it when you're 21. Save yourself a lot of grief. Save yourself failing that exam in law degree, uh, failing having to stay in the summer to do resets and having to drop out for a year until you've found your confidence back again and then going back and finishing your degree. Save yourself that grief. Learn some skills now. You're going to have to do it anyway. So that's the advice I give my teenage self. And my, myself as a parent, I think to have more confidence when my daughter was 14 to, to not wait for the school to sort it out. So it, I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes you think to yourself, eventually the school will do it. Eventually they'll get it. And, you know, for those eight months we watched our child sinking when it came to study skills, we we're like, When's the school going to teach them mind mapping or this or that or revision technique? And they weren't doing it, not in a way my daughter needed. And so 
relying on the school to eventually teach your child study skills? No. Darius, go do it now. Have the confidence to just do it then. Save her a lot of grief and save yourself a lot of grief. So that's what I would say. So all in all, over the last half hour, I've shared with you the origin story of Bullet Map Academy. I'm three years into my 10-year mission. I, I believe it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. And uh, I hope to be an overnight success in about seven years' time. And my mission, uh, the success I want, is to have one million children by the end of 2030 who have learned to bullet map, organize their ideas imaginatively um, by 2030. And I want 10,000 of them to have gone through their exams, being coached through their exams, and for them to have achieved what they wanted, not just survived high school, but actually thrived and conquered high school, have got out of it what they actually want. And probably a deeper core goal in all of that is, I'm actually trying to train future CEOs, inventors, software designers, developers, architects, now with the skills that they need when they're 12, that they're gonna use when they're 22, 32, 42, 82, that they get them when they're young. So that's my, 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 my core, core goal, is that they get equipped as a 12-year-old to the level that executives get equipped when they're 30 years old in the boardroom, when they get someone to come in on a, on a weekend and spend $10,000 getting some mind mapping, brainstorming expert to come in and teach the top 10 executives in the company how to be efficient uh, brainstormers and planners and group designers and so on. We can teach children to do that when they're 12. Um, so that's my mission. So over to you guys as parents, what questions do you guys have? We've got a few people listening to us on Zoom and we've got people listening to us on other channels. So time for podcast questions and answers. Over to you. So after you started videotaping your lessons for Rosie, did is that when it really started to click for her or what was the time frame for her to really feel proficient and like it was part of her learning style, I guess. I would love to say to you that everything just worked tickety-boo when I made these wonderful online video lessons like Khan Academy and it just clicked and that did the job. But it didn't. And not in the way I imagined, not in some sort of glorious, you know, hero moment. It, it, it didn't work like that. Um, what actually happened was yeah, it's, it's actually really hard as a parent to teach your own child something. You know, I, I've got children who are 13 years old that mind map better than my daughter. And I've only been teaching, they've only been in Bullet Map Academy for three months. My daughter I've been teaching and, and encouraging and giving tips for the last seven years, six years. So in many ways, the hardest person to teach this skill to is your own child. And so the answer to your question is, I mean, Rosie's fantastic. She's come on Doodle Club. She, she now mind maps and so on. And the answer to that question is, 
a little bit more complicated. I realized the videos weren't working that well. They were okay. They were way better than me doing in person. So I'd say, look, I made this one video for you. It's only eight minutes long. Like, sorry, Michelangelo. If any of you watched Sorry, Michelangelo and had your, your mind blown by it. The only way I got my daughter to watch it was that one of her friends came along and we had talked about mind mapping in the car. And I said, I just made a video about this. Would you like to see it? And her friend said, oh, yeah, I'd love to see it, Darius. And the, the, the friend, Rosie's friend, who's studying at the time, watches the video and I'm doing these, I'm taking away the letters and so on. And she's like, that's amazing. Rosie, you need to see this. And Rosie comes along, looks at it and goes, oh, that's quite good. And then I start teaching it. Seven minutes later, they're like, that's amazing. That makes sense. Because I condensed 45 minutes of teaching into seven minutes. And I had to use all sorts of my wits to get my daughter to actually watch the videos. And so year by year, she watched more and more videos. But do you know what? To her credit, she's learned much more before 21 than I did. I had to wait six years because I was, before I was humble enough to say, I'll give this thing a try again. Now, my daughter's been much more humble than me. And so she's watched the videos. But I then realized there's a problem. She needs a community around her. So I started these study groups on Zoom with the idea that maybe she would join one. About six months into it, she joined one and it transformed her approach to mind mapping when she saw other children her age and 13 years old starting to map and the results they got. She just got so excited about it that she's such a social learner. And I realized dyslexics are often very social learners, not all of them, but they need to see other children doing it. They need to see why. So that was the second thing that really made a difference. And then the third thing was getting a coach. So now I've employed a number of full-time bullet map coaches. I'm going to get her to get her own one-to-one -one coach. And then she will go to the next level, I'm sure. And she's really up for it. Does that answer your question, Rebecca? Yes, it does. And I would agree because I see when Ada, is, my daughter, is in, you know, the group in the, I can't remember what it's called on Tuesday nights. The study group. The study group, yes. Um, she gets inspired, I think, by what she sees. And then I see that show up in her maps. And also with Doodle Club, you know, it's like they all are sharing their ideas. And then they're like, ha, ah, I like that. I want to try that one. And so you see them just really growing in their abilities because they're inspired by other kids who have the similar issue that they do. And the other thing that's really important that I didn't really talk about throughout my relationship with mind mapping is that I've always had this awkward relationship with the messiness of my maps. Mm -hmm. You know, they've always been a bit messy and they've been nothing like Tony Buzan's beautiful maps in his books and other people's gorgeous Instagram style maps <laughs> that I just look at and go, oh my goodness, I'm just such a failure. And what I realized was that in these study groups, children see other children with really messy maps. Some of them even have maps that are utterly incomprehensible, except mm -hmm. to the person who's drawn it. Now, what I've realized is I now, I'm old enough 
to know better and young enough to do something about it. And what I've realized is you don't judge a map by how it looks. You judge a map by how it works. And when you see a child explaining a subject with a map that makes no sense to you, but makes complete sense to them and reminds them and keeps them on track and they can explain a whole topic, you're like blown away. And so are the other children blown away. And they realize, gosh, actually, I could probably do it. Mine won't be quite as messy as his, but you know, they're a bit messy, but who cares? And literally, who cares? It's about does it work rather than how, is, is the map nice? Doesn't matter. Does the map work? That matters. And so I think in this communal setting, you start seeing that as well. We saw a map last night that I was like, I have no idea what this map is on our, um, in our group. And, but that little girl could walk her way right through that map and like knew all the details. And I was like, this is amazing because I could never have picked up her map and gone, Oh, this and this and this and this. Yeah. So I just um, love the individuality that they all show also. And that's one of the things that I, I've been utterly determined to embed deeply into the academy. You know, messiness is okay. Bad spelling is okay. There is a time to draw a beautiful map. Mm -hmm. There is a time. When it has to be a memory map, there is a time. And so one out of 10 maps of mine become memory maps. The other nine out of 10 are note maps and edit maps, I call them. They're much messier, they're etc. But sometimes they have to become a memory map, something you need to remember for presenting or going into an exam, something like that. Then you need to pull out the stops and really work hard on the presentation to yourself, not for someone else. So it, it imprints in your memory much clearer. Deb, do you want to share? Uh, oh, just lots of thoughts swirling around like a typical dyslexic, and I, I didn't take notes. But one thing I've been toying with, you know, I'm trying to, there's a section teaching Jack uh, reading and uh, spelling where in the book where I just need to read to him, and he's got to listen, and it doesn't usually go very well. And it dawned on me the other day that he just needs to be doodling while I'm talking to him. Give him something to do besides a squishy thing in his hand and see what happens. Maybe that, that doodle is going to help embed me talking at him even more than just sitting there listening. So I'm, I'm thinking about playing around with the doodle technique uh, in other subjects. Fantastic. Great idea. Okay, so I think we will wind up this podcast at this stage. I think, is there any final words? What, what, let's think through what the takeaways of this podcast are for you as a parent. I think the first takeaway for parents is we really need to have the confidence that there was a realization for me. I asked the question, who is going to do this? Who is going to teach my child study skills? And I looked around and I was like, my wife isn't because she's in the hospital. She would normally deal with all this stuff. And now I have to step up to the plate. The school isn't because they're overwhelmed. They're, they've given them the basics that every other child gets, but my child needs something extra. It's like, 
I, my child's good at dancing. Do I expect the whole the school to teach them lots of dancing lessons? No, they get like a six week block once a year, maybe if they're lucky. But I have to take her to a dance school to 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 work on that particular gift. She's got the gift of dyslexia, so she needs to learn how to take notes imaginatively. And that's when I made the decision. Look, there's one area I have to help her in, and I would say that to you as parents. The one area of study skills you have to take responsibility for until they take responsibility for it. And the sooner you can do it, the better. You can start teaching them when they're five how to doodle and listen. You can start teaching them how to seven, at seven how to do a basic map and so on and start teaching them early on how to organize their ideas imaginatively. And not be random at it, to have a system, you know, it doesn't have to be the bullet map system. It can be any kind of visual organizing system, but find a system, teach them a system, learn a common language inside your household of how to go to a whiteboard and organize things visually and talk through things, plan things, plan your day, plan your weekend visually, how to listen to a story and take doodles and map things out, how to read a book and take notes from the book visually and underline, and how to, you know, remember things, test yourselves with imaginative ways, and how to sort of structure an essay visually so your child can get their head around it. And it's just those five things, but with those five core skills, they can take on anything in high school and in work life, but those are not taught adequately enough for dyslexic thinkers in school. And so those are your responsibility to take on. So that's the biggest takeaway. And then the, the second takeaway is just to appreciate how incredibly hard it is to teach your child these techniques when they're older than 12. I would say under 12, you've got a really good window of opportunity between 8 to 12. You know, you're working together, they're open to you teaching them, etc. But over 12, it's incredibly hard. And don't wait until they're teenagers and think, oh, well, a year before they've got their exams, let's start teaching them study skills. I'll be honest with you, it's an uphill climb at that stage. It's possible with real determination like my daughter's, but 8 to 12, that's the sweet spot. Learn it then. So I hope that's been helpful for you. If you want to know more about Bullet Map Academy and what we can do to help you do that, uh, you go to bulletmapacademy.com forward slash um, write, you know, teach them how to write a story visually. And then if you're interested in getting some training, you can get buy some training or whatever and get some tutoring, but you, you can get the overview there. So thanks for listening. I'll say goodbye to you now. Bye-bye. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. 
It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.